Today's episode is brought to you by our dear friends over at The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth coverage for real fans just like Seth and I. Shout out to John Krasinski, Timberwolves beat writer, The Athletic, helping me get through this tumultuous early start to the Timberwolves season. It's all ad-free, so go to theathletic.com slash bites. That's theathletic.com slash bites for 50% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. That's $36 a year for sports journalism that brings you closer to the action than you could ever dream of. Welcome to Legendary Bites, a podcast that's dedicated to two things we love, sports and brevity. I'm Charlie. And I'm Seth. And as you know by now, each episode, we're going to bring you a bite-sized sports story in under 15 minutes that we find fascinating, important, or just absurd. With brevity in mind, let's get going. Seth, what's on tap today? Today, we're taking you back in time to tell the story of the richest athlete of all time. An athlete they built statues of, they wrote songs about, and whose name you've probably never heard before. Gaius Apuleius Diocles. Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, I I wrote the script, so it definitely does. Checks out. (laughs) So this is a fun one today. Not our typical episode. Not in the least. We're well aware that we pack lots of information into each Legendary Bites episode. One of our least favorite listeners asked us if we just read Wikipedia pages. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And this one is no different. In this episode, we're going to leave you, dear listener with a juicy bite of trivia that you'll be able to bust out at your next work happy hour. Let's start with that. Listeners, do you know who the richest athlete of all time is? We'll give you a moment to think on that. Who'd you guess? Did you guess the richest athlete of all time is Tiger Woods? That's a good one. You know, Tiger was one of the first athletes to become a billionaire. And golf is a good category, too. Tiger, Jack Nicholas, and Arnie Palmer are all among the wealthiest athletes, all in the billionaire bogey club, as we call it. Anyway, Tiger is a good guess, but a wrong guess. Did you guess the richest athlete of all time is Michael Jordan? Another good but wrong guess. And though he might take that personally and use it to make more money, Jordan changed the money-making game in so many ways for athletes. I mean, go drink some Sincoro tequila while wearing your Jordan shoes to find out. (laughs) Let's not delay this any longer. Unless you're well-read on Roman history, you more than likely guessed wrong because the richest athlete of all time was a Roman chariot racer named Gaius Apuleius Diocles. Our guy Gaius isn't just the richest athlete of all time. He's the richest athlete of all time by a country mile. Take the 10 wealthiest athletes of the world today, combine all their career earnings, sponsorships, and cryptocurrency, and you still don't quite reach Gaius Apuleius Diocles. Should we tell him how much he made in his career? I think that would be sensible, and I wish we could see your faces right now. Maybe it's time for a live podcast. You might be onto something there. How much did Gaius make in his day, Charlie? $15 billion. Obviously, it wasn't dollars. It was sesterces. We don't totally know how that's pronounced. But some (laughs) economists crunched the numbers, and it came out to roughly the equivalent of $15 billion in modern U.S. currency, enough money to feed all of Rome for an entire year. And his is also just straight-up earnings. Gaius isn't sponsored by the Gucci of robes back then. 
Yeah, he didn't have his own signature sandal that all the kids were rocking. No. Gaius was just a money-making machine in one of the craziest and most dangerous sports to ever exist. Let's dive right in because there are a ton of parallels between chariot racing and modern sports. When we think of ancient sports, we tend to think about Olympics and gladiator fights, and there is a reason those come to mind first. We obviously still have the Olympics, and there was a movie called Gladiator, and it did win Best Picture. Are you not entertained? And if you're entertained, by the way, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It'll really help. I like that little transition there. So the Olympics and uh, Gladiator-ing, however that was called, those were certainly popular, but they paled in comparison to chariot racing. We all love to talk about, take pictures of the Colosseum in Rome, which is where the gladiators would fight. But I will be the first one to say that the Colosseum looked like a silly little high school gym compared to where the Romans raced chariots. The Colosseum seated roughly 50,000 people. That's about the size of your average NFL stadium today. And that's child's play compared to the freaking Circus Maximus, where they did a chariot racing. At its peak, the track that Caesar built, no less, could hold 250,000 spectators. 250,000 is an absurdly big stadium. For context, the biggest stadiums in the U.S. are mostly college football stadiums. Yeah, like Michigan Stadium and Ohio State, the old horseshoe. Yeah, and those only seat, you know, a little over 100,000 people each. Combine them both, student sections would obviously kill one another, but you still don't get to the size of the Circus Maximus. Yeah, the Circus Maximus was the best place in town. Rich, poor, young, old. For the 66 days a year the Romans would chariot race, the Circus Maximus would be packed to the gills with rabid race fans. Yeah, and the Roman chariot racing teams kind of had teams just like our sports do. The red team, the green team, the blue team, and the white team, clearly the same people that named the Power Rangers named this as well. (laughs) Each team functions like a modern-day sports team. There are typically three chariot racers, a team of horse handlers, doctors, strategists. I bet they had a weapons coach. It was a full-fledged organization, kind of like a Formula One team. Which makes horse handlers the pit crew, right? Right. And when we say these teams had fans, we mean they had fandoms that would make soccer hooligans look like a charity croquet tournament. Oh, yes. Fans went insane over their teams. Betting was huge back then, so fans threw down a lot of money on their teams. And fans would do just about anything to give their team an edge. Horse racers were known to be literally poisoned by fans. Riots often broke out between rival fandoms. There's even evidence that fans would straight up curse other teams like dropped cursed scrolls with mystical spells into wells, which is where they thought the underworld was. We should consider doing that. Watch out, Green Bay Packers. Curse might be coming your way. It's probably the only way the Vikings would beat them, unless, of course, their quarterback habitually lies about getting vaccinated for a long time and has to miss a bunch of games. Yeah, that's on him. So we've got the biggest stadium in the world. We've got literal sports teams, all with their own cool colors, and we've got insane fans. How did chariot racing actually work, Charlie? Again, pretty similar to an F1 race, you know, or NASCAR. Each race consists of these 12 chariot racers. That's three from each team. Yeah, each racer would stand on this wooden two-wheeled platform with four horses in front of it. The chariot racer would have the reins of the horse either wrapped around their forearm or around their back so they could steer them. Then with their free hand, they'd have a whip to get the horse running as fast as possible when needed. Any other weapons besides that whip? The chariot racer had a sword that they'd mostly use to cut their own ropes if they fell off so they didn't get dragged to their death. 
When the racers were going, it's no holds bar. Racers could whip their opponents or grab and throw them off their chariot. There really aren't many rules around racing at the time. It's F1, but you're encouraged to crash, and all the drivers have swords and whips. Exactly. Each race is seven laps. Counterclockwise, like all racing is for some reason, and the Circus Maximus track is shaped like a pill or a bullet, so there are these tight turns and really long straightaways. Yeah, that's where the best seats in the house are, at those turns, just like today. That's where the crashes are, that's where the action is, baby. That sweet, sweet, horrible wreckage of horses, humans, wood, and whips, all moving at 50 miles an hour. Yeah, those Romans knew how to entertain. That's it. Seven laps of mayhem. The top three chariot racers win money, and all the action lasts about 10 minutes. They race all day long for 66 days a year. I'm hooked. And from a young age, so was our guy, Gaius. Let's get back to him, because just hearing about this nutso sport makes it all the more impressive that he was so successful. There were a few keys to Gaius's enormous success. First of all, the guy knew how to instill some drama into each race. He was a fan favorite mostly because of his racing style. Gaius was known to kind of trail for most of the race, hang in the middle or near the back, and then in the final lap, he would just burst forward into the lead. It was thrilling to watch him, and you best believe when Gaius was lined up, it was the main event of the day. Yeah, and another key to success, and actually one of the most interesting to me, is that he really knew how to make it in the money, and he built his career on that alone. You know, like we said earlier, the top three finishers get paid each race. You know, Gaius wasn't the best chariot racer of all time. He's really far from it, but he really knew how to have a nose for those money positions. In his career, Gaius ran in 4,257 races and won 1,462 races. That's 35% of the races he entered, he won. Beyond that, he finished in second about 33% of the time. So in more than two-thirds of his total races, he finished in the money. And boy, were those winnings good. Lewis Hamilton, the best F1 driver of all time, he makes about a million dollars a race. That's, that's pretty good money, wouldn't you say, Charlie? I would, yeah. Yeah, well, Gaius made about $7 million a race, and he raced a lot. And I think that's another key to his success. The guy knows how to survive. Gaius had a very long career. He raced for 24 years, which is ludicrous for how dangerous the sport is. People died all the time. The average age of a chariot racer was around 26. Gaius raced until he was 42. I bet those come from behind victories, the old Gaius gallop, as we like to call it, was all the more thrilling when he was in his 40s. Oh, for sure. He's like one of those crafty old lefties that rely on changing speeds more than power. I mean, he was really the Jamie Moyer of chariot <laughs> racing by the end. I'll allow that metaphor. So you might be asking now, how in the world do we know all of this? Well, they didn't exactly have trading cards back then to put your stats on. So instead, they carved Gaius's career stats and lifetime earnings onto a giant stone memorial commemorating his life. Like, you know, all athletes have. Yeah, such a flex, Gaius. Big time. Though the wealth gap between Gaius and the rest of the richest athlete list is preposterously large, as we look at the modern athlete, it seems that athletes are starting to gain some ground. And there's been a shift in the last decade or so, a shift that really kind of started with Jordan and Tiger Woods, but has accelerated since athletes of the modern day make their money in a very different way. Athletes are finding all sorts of ways to make their earnings off the court or field. 
exceeding their already massive contracts. And all the richest athletes, your Steph Curry's, LeBron James's, Cristiano Ronaldo's, Roger Federer's, they're now continually making more from endorsements than they are from playing. And though their playing contracts are increasing, their personal brands are increasing quicker. Tom Brady saw this happen years ago. Well, with the Patriots, Brady structured his contract in such a way, both in what he got paid and how much, that he often left millions of dollars on the table so the team itself could get better. His bargain contract enabled the Patriots to be able to sign and retain other talented players, and in doing so, they were competitive year in and year out. Brady saw that he could make more money off the field if he continued to win on the field. That the more he won, the more his brand increased, and the more off-the-field money he could make. But I still hate you, Tom. Even outside of endorsements, the new rise of the athlete investor is causing enormous wealth for athletes. Every single new, fast-growing startup pretty much now has athletes on their cap table. The gains Kevin Durant has made in this last year from his investments in Coinbase, Robinhood, and Postmates alone are mind-boggling. In fact, the line between endorsement and investor is blurring more and more. Many athletes are swapping out their typical endorsement dollars for equity stakes in these companies. Yeah, the late Kobe Bryant did that with the sports drink company Body Armor. The recent sale to Coca-Cola netted his estate $400 million, which is more than he made in his entire career. Every athlete now wants to be an investor. Mix that with their increasing player contracts, their ever-growing sponsorships, and their personal brands. Could someone catch Gaius Apuleius Diocles, the $15 billion man? Maybe. But the guy risked his life every single day and was rewarded for it accordingly. Risk tolerance means a different thing in the boardroom than it did at the Circus Maximus. So while athletes today may be gaining on Gaius the Great, it's clear that they have a long, long way to go. Thank you to our producer, Patrick Buddy, to Josh Yeston for his design talents, and especially to Caesar for building such a cool stadium. Follow us on all things social at Legendary Bites for more interesting nuggets from each story. And while you're listening, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, preferably five stars, but that's up to you. Finally, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to get more great 15-minute stories on sports, history, and everything in between. 